Hebrews chapter number 10. If there has ever been a time when the church needs a hug, it's today. But let me also add, if there has ever been a time where the church needs a kick in the pants, it's today. There's a lot that's going on, and just to be very candid with you and transparent this morning, my heart is very heavy with the subject of today's message. I cannot stress to you the importance enough of God's people getting it right. So often, we hear so many different viewpoints and ideas, it's important for us to come back to Scripture to see what is right. And the Bible has all the answers that we need. It may not speak specifically about something that you want it to speak specifically about, but it does give us more than enough as far as principle is concerned to be able to apply it to every single area of life. And so quit gagging on certain things, trying to find what we want to find in Scripture. Let's take what is found in Scripture and simply apply that. And so I want to take a look today and sort of the idea that is in the back of my mind as we move forward is sort of what Joshua said to the people in Joshua. He says in Joshua 24, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And I think it's time for some of us born-again believers, some of us who claim to be children of God, to choose this day. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter number 10. In verse, we'll start here in verse number 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Father, speak to our hearts, I pray. Hide me, Father, behind your words that I would not be seen. But, Father, your spirit would be evident. God, I don't want to present my own ideas. I don't want to present my own thoughts on the matter. God, I simply want to present you. So, Father, help us to see in your word truth as to how we ought to live and act. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
I entitled this Drawing, Holding, and Considering. You could maybe even put a little tag to it off to the side, simply saying, let us. Let us. Now, as we enter this more practical, we talked about it last week, verse 18 was sort of where the, uh, the finalization of the doctrinal portion uh, was seen. And from verse 19 through the fulfillment of the book, we have more of the application portion of the message and then a concluding thought. And so we're, we're getting into the application part of this. And so we need to remember that. We need to remember that everything leading up to this point was doctrinal, and now the preacher is giving to us how we apply this to our lives. And sort of a, based on what we have seen now, it's time for us to take action. So often, as we enter into things like this, we can quickly lose sight uh, because we misunderstand certain concepts. And so I wanted to kind of kick this off with the question today of how best can a Christian show love? You know, in today's day and time where, where so much uh, focus is put on how we can be more tolerant or accepting of or different things of that nature, we want to, you know, be very cautious that we do have a good understanding of what we are to do. How is it that we can better love uh, others? How can we show love toward the brethren? How can we show love to this world? How can I, as a husband, show love to my wife? How can I, as a father, show love to my children? And I believe that there's three things that are given to us here in this passage that really kind of point us to it because uh, we want to understand the heartbeat of what the preacher is writing to us. And so today, people place toleration and acceptance above truth and the desire for what is best, uh, all in name of love, and, and, and folks excuse behavior and embrace preferences rather than being simply willing to lovingly confront. Now, there are several words that are going to be used in this section here. And I'm going to do the best that I can to try to unpack it as, as best I know how. And I'm not going to be able to do this entire text justice in the allotted time, but I'm going to do the best that I can to help us to see this. Here, the writer presents three choices that we as believers must make. Now, if you compare this uh, area here with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you're going to find the love chapter, and it's going to tell you a lot of the things as far as love is this and love is not that. And so when you compare this, uh, you're going to note these three let us statements can really kind of be tied into 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says uh, faith, hope, and love. And it talks about these three coming together. So I want to try to take a couple looks at just the let us statements for just a moment. Look at verse 22 with me, if you would. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work. So these are the three things that we're going to kind of look at this morning and see what it is that the writer is trying to encourage us to do. Notice the very first one there in verse 22, let us draw near. 
I want to make it abundantly clear that the writer is not trying to encourage us uh, to draw near for salvation. This is something that we want to understand right off the bat. He is not saying draw near so that you can be. He is merely insinuating that as a result of, then we ought to draw near. God's love for us has been proven. However, our dedication is evident in a desire to draw near to him. This is what is seen. We we do not draw near to him so that he will draw uh, or he will like us better. Uh, The Bible does say draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you, but that's not because he is not trying to draw nigh unto you. There are There are times that maybe I have had too much coffee to drink or maybe I had too much garlic to eat. And I draw near to kiss my wife and she recoils. Go brush your teeth. Wash your mouth out. We'll talk about it again. But there are times when I am drawing near to her and she will draw near to me. And as she's drawing near to me, I am drawing near to her because I was already puckering up. You see, this is the way it is with God. He is always there. He has proven it to us by leaving, stepping out of glory, robing himself in flesh, becoming one of us, putting himself on display for all the world to see in the most glorious, yet at the same time most horrifying way possible on the cross. He has proven his dedication to us. Now it's time for us to understand how dedicated we are to him. And so the writer of Hebrews here says, draw near to God. It says right there in verse number 22, let us draw near with a true heart. You see, our relationship with God, there's a difference that we need to understand is the relationship versus the fellowship. Our relationship with God has been settled by Him. Once we have taken Christ's uh, payment for us, once we have accepted this and His payment has been applied to our life, our relationship is settled. Our fellowship, on the other hand, I remember very uh, vividly times in my life, especially in those teenage and uh, young adult years where I was living a very rebellious lifestyle. And I even remember at one point in time, my father looking at me and saying, as long as that's how you're going to act, you do not need to be here. Our fellowship was broken. But I remained the son of Jerry Lake my relationship was still there, but my fellowship was in turmoil. And so many times, if you have uh, raised children, you've been around, you don't even have to raise children. It could be just a friend. Fellowship is something that needs to be worked on. Relationship is different. 
And so as we see this, we need to realize that what is being encouraged of us is this drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. It's not saying do this so that you can be, but do this because. If you go back to verse number 19, you're going to see something there. Right at the very beginning of verse number 19, it says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the uh, uh, holiest by the blood of Jesus in other words he says based on what we have seen and read based on what we know about Jesus up to this point listen we have spent nine and a half chapters just talking about the greatness and the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as our priest and the sacrifice we need nothing more than him since that is what we have because of Jesus because of his relationship because of his sacrifice because of his continuing work because of where he's located right now this is what we ought to do This is what he's saying by saying, let us. Notice what he's talking about with this. The assurance of faith is not my amount. Look at it there in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This assurance of faith is not necessarily my amount of faith. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about where my faith is placed. He even goes into it a little bit more when he gets into verse 23. He says, for he is faithful that promised. Where is your faith placed this morning? Let me ask you something as far as the drawing near is concerned. Let's kind of start this uh, the, the right way by really doing some inspection on the inside. Can I just ask you a question? And I don't necessarily want a response. This is one of those rhetorical questions because I wouldn't want anybody to be embarrassed. Are you close enough to Jesus? Are you close enough? Now, listen to me. I'm not talking about salvation. Do you have enough? Have you learned enough about Jesus to where I'm satisfied? If I don't ever learn anything else, I'm cool. If you don't become more like Jesus from this day forward, the rest of your life, you just remain exactly as you are, is that good enough for you? Are you satisfied with where you have found yourself today? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not what I used to be, Pastor. I used to be this, this, and this, but now I'm something different. Well, praise the Lord. But for the past 25 years, I've not changed. Are you okay with that? Are you all right just staying as you are? I don't think the writer of Higher Ground was okay. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. All through, he just wanted to get to the next level and then the next place. He says, I'm not going to be happy at this stage. I want to get closer. I want to get closer. Can that be said of you or are you content right where you are? I had a guy ask me not too long ago, he says, can I ask you a question? He's not Christian. He says, are you content? Ooh, what a loaded question that one is. And I said, yes and no. He says, Do I? He says I'm pretty content. 
And I said, well, I'm content with what I've got, but I'm not content with who I am. He says, well, why aren't you? I said, because I'm not enough like Jesus yet. I want to be more like him. I want to be more less of me and more of him. Is that your honest hope this morning? Or have you come to a place where I'm good, I'm okay? We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to come to, a, a, to the place where we're able to look in the mirror and, and identify this needs to change, and thank you, God, for showing it to me. I've come out of the room before, and I, I get dressed for Sunday, and there's times where I come walking out, and she just looks at me and goes, no. I was just checking to make sure it still fit. Yeah. <laughs> she just, no. I've got two reactions. I can look at her and go, thank you for not letting me look like a moron. Or I can get mad about it. A lot of times we, but I like this. I'm happy with this. This is what I wanted to wear. Well, if you want to look stupid, go ahead. This is what we're dealing with when we come to the Word of God. So many times, something is revealed to us in Scripture, and we dig our heels in and say, but I am happy with this. I like it the way I see it. I like it the way I'm doing it. I like it the way I want it. I'm not happy with what you're telling me. And wait a minute. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us to dwell within us, to expose our need of change, to work in us from the inside out, and to reveal areas that need addressed. Are we still addressing those areas, or have we arrived? I don't know about you, but I haven't arrived. I still got a lot of flaws, and praise God, He's still working on me. I want you to notice a couple other things about this. His faithfulness to us is where I find this assurance. You see that there, having the uh, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of Him doing His high priestly office, I am now able to approach boldly the throne of grace. This this is where I gain the boldness that is seen in verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. The closer I am and the more I am given to to the blood of Jesus Christ, the closer I'm going to be able to be to him. And guess what? The more bold I am. When I used to come home late or I came home after having done something stupid, I would not come into the house boldly. I would sneak in hopefully unnoticed but I'm able to walk into the throne room of God boldly because of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a blind faith. It's a foundational faith, and we can get into that more at another time. 
And so don't think for just a moment we are just leaping blindly into faith. I'm sorry, but that is not the case. Søren Kierkegaard is known for having coined the idea of uh, taking a leap of faith. He never actually said the words leap of faith. He said you can only take knowledge to a certain point and then you have to step out blindly. That is not the truth. We have a foundational faith founded upon the reality of who Jesus Christ was, who he claimed to be. We have a foundational faith. I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ, not because I'm blindly following somebody, but because I have looked at the information, I have looked at the evidence, and I have come to the place where I realize that logically the only conclusion is either Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, or he's a madman and a lunatic taken out or run screaming for the hills. Those are my only two options. You can't have Jesus as a good guy and not God because he made way too many claims that would negate his being good. And if he is not who he claimed to be, he led a lot of people to being uh, martyred for no good reason. We don't have blind faith. But notice it says, this faith in a pure heart, in full assurance uh, with a true heart. You see that? So not only uh, do we look at it as far as this stepping in on faith, but we do so, our drawing near must be with a true heart, which is only the, the only way that it is acceptable. No hypocrisy, no pretense. I do not draw close to him so that other people will think how good I am. I do not draw closer to Christ so that other people will applaud my biblical knowledge. I do not draw closer to Christ so that other people can see and wonder, man, he's spiritual. No, 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 no. I do so with a true heart. This is why many people cannot or will not sing. Sometimes it's, it's, it's interesting I don't know, maybe, you're the, maybe I'm the only one that does this, and I'm not trying to be critical or anything, but I've, have you ever wondered, why don't people sing? Maybe, I'm just putting a maybe out there, maybe they won't because they have no desire. No desire to draw close to Him. They don't have, their heart really is not in it. I'm just here, keep my wife happy. Hurry it up, get to the end, I'm ready to go eat. Now, there are others maybe who do not sing because they know that what they're saying they don't really mean. I surrender. No, wait a minute, no, I don't. Mm-mm. And there are others who maybe they don't sing because they don't feel that they're worthy or able to. And some people, they just don't sing because, you know, they, they can't. Can't. We'll just leave it at that. And you've sat beside them before where you just kind of want to tap on the shoulder and say, would you go make a joyful noise somewhere else, please? Yeah, you know how it is. But we need to examine. Do we draw near? with a true heart. Look at these other couple things here. That set the groundwork, so all that by way of introduction. Let's move on.
Number two, let us hold fast as seen in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. This is not a caution to hold on to salvation. Don't misunderstand what's being said. He says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith. It is an exhortation to remain true or steadfast in what we claim to believe. This is what's being said. It's important for us to understand what is being told of us. Many people say, see, you've got to hold fast to, the, to, the, to, to, to your uh, salvation. You've got to hold fast to the profession. That's not what is being said. What is being said is you profess this, you, uh, you claim to believe this, hold to it. Well, see, that, that means I've got to hold on to my salvation. No, 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 no. Let's look at it from a different angle. See, many people hold fast in word, but they don't actually hold fast in action. Here's what I mean by that. I'm a Christian, and therefore I vote a certain way, but I don't alter my schedule. I don't take care of my finances a certain way. I make sure that what people see and hear is one thing. But do I let my faith dictate everything else about my life? This is holding fast to the profession. Do you have a certain conviction when scheduling your week? When you sit down with the allotted time you have been given, do you schedule things out based on the profession of faith? This is what we claim to believe, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, died for us, gave us a relationship with Him. The Bible calls us and tells us, study to show yourself approved unto God. We, we even teach our, kill, our kids to uh, sing songs like, read your Bible, pray every day. But do you read your Bible and pray every day? Do you truly believe that He is with you forever? He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you hold fast to that? This is what's being said by holding fast. Church used to be important until something else came up. My Bible reading used to be important until something else presented itself more pressing. My prayer time used to be pretty important to me. If that can be said of you, my friend, are you holding fast to the profession of faith? You see, this word for profession, it's, uh, the, the, it talks about the object. It says profession of your faith. It's saying the object of your faith. And I want you to understand that the object of your faith is clearly seen in what you hold to most tightly. This is the object of your faith. You know, we go to church every single time the doors are open until my boss calls me. Well, pastor, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I need that job. What if I lose my job? Well, I, I want my kids to have every opportunity in life. Well, I, I need to earn more money and I need to, uh, to have this. Wait a minute. What are you holding the most tightly to? 
well, pastor, if I don't make enough money, then I've got to, I've got to give up that car that I've got a loan on. I've got to give up that house that I've got a, a mortgage. I'm, I'm strapped to the gills in, in debt, pastor. And I've got, to, maybe it's time for you to give up that house or that car. What are you holding so tightly to? You know, this idea of faith, it's a different word. Faith is the word pistos in the Greek language. This is elpidos, which is the object of your hope. Your faith is placed in this position. So when it says the, your profession, of your, what do you claim houses your faith? Where is it seated? Let's look at the third thing in this, and this is where we really want to start to get honest with ourselves if we haven't been already. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love, and to good works. Anybody enjoy being provoked? Let's think about it for just a minute. How many times have you been driving down the street and you hear your kids in the back seat and one is provoking the other? Does that make you joyful? It doesn't make me joyful. Didn't make my mama joyful. That flask water came out when I was provoking my sister. That flask water in the front seat. And this, she was a master at being able to look forward and still find the target. You thought those trick shoot artists, you know, the one guy, he can take a ring and he can look and he can shoot behind himself. And he didn't have anything on my mama. I could slide to the left or to the right. She found me. Quit provoking. I want you to understand this word provoke because I think sometimes we think church is all about coming to a place where you're going to pat it on the back, made to feel good about yourself, and sent home. That's not what it's all about. He says in verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then verse 24, let us consider one another to do something to provoke one another, to provoke. This is one of those areas that you look at and you're going, <clears throat> I don't know that I like this part. You see, the word provoke is an interesting word. It means to stimulate a reaction, sometimes strong and often unwelcome, or to deliberately confront. This is what the word provoke means. It comes from the Greek word, uh, perox oman. It's a compound word from para to be by, meaning by way of. And uh, oxeno, meaning to sharpen. In other words, it means to sharpen by way of certain things. And so I am, if I take a stone and I take a knife and I'm starting to sharpen my knife, I am sharpening by the way of irritation on that blade. As I bring that blade across the stone, guess what's happening? <laughs> Not anything comfortable for that blade, but it's being sharpened. As I take it across the other direction, guess what's being happened? Nothing comfortable to that blade, but it's being sharpened. The end result is good, but the 
way to get there is provoking. It can be meant to irritate or to incite a reaction. You see, to love someone is to seek the absolute best for them, to truly love someone. This is evidenced when your mother puts the dinner on the table and it includes broccoli, peas, and asparagus. There's no cake, mom. Where's the cake? Well, we don't have cake. We have broccoli, peas, and asparagus. But I want cake, mom. And cake is made from whole wheat. It's got eggs. It's got milk. It's, it's got most of the major food groups in it. And matter of fact, I'll even take carrot cake, mom. You can put a vegetable in there too. No, I'm giving you what's best for you. See, to love someone is to seek what's best for them. This is exactly where things start to connect. The preacher is encouraging them to draw close to Jesus, to hold to that faith, and then to encourage others to do the same. This is why when you come to this church, you're going to hear a message that sometimes might sting because the Bible tells me that we need to consider one another to provoke, to provoke one another to love. Love who and love what? Not this world, nor the things of this world, but to love Him. To do what? To do good works. Works that show repentance. Works that show a life that has been given to Jesus Christ. I want to I put this out there because I think it's important for us to understand. I show my love by coming together with brothers and sisters in Christ to confront and to be confronted. This is one of the things that I come together. Look at verse 24 into 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You see, I show my love by coming together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, not by ignoring these opportunities where I know I'm going to be confronted. I know pastor's going, he's been preaching through this book. He's getting ready to hit on a certain part of the book of Hebrews. I don't want to go there. If I show up to church, I'm probably going to be asked questions about last week or the week before or the week before that. I don't want to go there. If I show up or if I, if I make a phone call or if I do, I don't want to be confronted. My friend, please understand something. The confrontation is never to be out of uh, anger or out of hatred or out of malice. It is always to be something out of love because we love you. We desire God's absolute best for you. This is what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. When someone comes and confronts us with the the problems and the sins in our life, we ought to thank them, not run from it. You see, I show my love by exhorting those that I care about. This word exhort 
means to strongly encourage someone to do something. This is not patting them on a back. It's not what this is all about. No more of this safe space. No, no, no. Can I, can I be real for just a minute? Not that I haven't been real a while ago. It's, this is all an illusion. No. The last place you should desire to hear something that just boosts your ego should be the house of God. The house of God ought to be the place where I am seeing my sickness, my illness, the problems, and I am encouraged to change. That's what, I'm, that's what I need out of, out of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice this in verse number 19, who he's speaking to. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse number 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and fullness, uh, full assurance of faith. Uh, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want you to understand something. There are so many people who are trying to draw near to God but have no relationship to him, and it won't ever happen. It must begin with that first step of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're not going to draw near to someone any other way. It's only through Jesus Christ. But then once we get to that place, it is that, uh, that opportunity that brothers and sisters have of exhorting one another and helping one another get closer and closer to Jesus Christ. This is what the church of God is all about. So many times we only see certain aspects of church and we want to focus in on that. My friend, it is wonderful to show up to church and be encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ who are of like mind and like faith. It's wonderful to hear these opportunities and these testimonies. What do you think we've been doing on Sunday night? We get together. We encourage one another's heart. We lift one another up. We help each other to see you're not in this alone. That's wonderful. But if I walk in with something on my face and I leave with it still there, no one loved me enough. I should be able to come to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get enough pats on the back from the world. If I'm able to get truth, it should be here. The world's mantra is everything's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's just all be okay. God's truth is, you and I are not okay. We need him. And there's not enough people in pulpits in America. Dr. Desai and I were just talking about this. There's not enough people in the pulpits of the United States of America proclaiming there's the right way to live, there's a wrong way to live. Live unto him, quit living to them. He died my soul to save. 
Tim Tebow didn't. He gave me a relationship with God. Michael Jordan didn't. Whoever your favorite singer is didn't. Your favorite television show didn't do it for you. And your boss didn't do it for you. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm sorry that this steps on a toe, but your kid did not die your soul to save. He did. So many of us, we let the boss, we let the athletes, we let the children, we let the spouses dictate where we're going to draw near unto. It's time for us to exhort one another to draw near to Christ. Listen, I think it's wonderful parents bending over backwards to help their children. But before I give my kids every opportunity available, I need to give them Jesus Christ. Before I make sure that they've got their college education paid for, I need to give them Jesus Christ. Before I make sure that they've got a good job, I need to give them Jesus Christ. Before I help them make it to the next level, I need to give them Jesus Christ. Before I make sure that my wife has every single uh, car she wants or every single handbag she wants or every single piece of jewelry, I need to make sure I give her Jesus Christ. Before I give her my time, I need to give Jesus Christ my time. Before I give the boss whatever he wants, I need to give it to Jesus Christ. The best way you can show love to your children is giving them Jesus Christ. But how do you do that? Is it all about my kids? Listen to me. You need to read your Bible, pray every day. But dad, we never see you. If I want my children to take seriously, it's time for church. We're going to spend time in the house of God with the people of God, singing the songs of God, hearing the word of God. Then, Dad, why don't you ever go? I can't wait until they're grown up and they're never attending church, and I go, well, why aren't they going to church? I don't understand. How important was it to you? I think it's time for some of us to start holding fast to what we profess. And it's time for all of us to draw near to him. Note this finally. These are not suggestions. These are logical outcomes based on the truth of what we have seen about Jesus Christ. Sums it up for you. Therefore, based on what you know about Jesus, This is what you should do. Anything else would be uncivilized, right? The preacher is not suggesting ideas. Rather, he's presenting to you the only logical response to the doctrine we have heard. Jesus is so much better than the baseball team. Jesus is better than the law of Moses. I think he's better than your political stance. And guess what? Jesus is better than your country. I'm here to tell you, countries rise and countries fall, but Jesus Christ and his word stands forever.
A lot of people don't want to hear that. But before I ever wave a flag, we need to stand firm on this book. So what about you? Are you drawing nearer to Christ? Are you closer to Him today than you were yesterday? Are you satisfied with where you are now and you're not interested in drawing nearer to Christ? Or is that a priority in your life? Number two, where is your hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust the school teacher or the politician. No. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. And last, have you considered what those around you truly need. Well, Pastor, I thought I was giving my boss what he needed. He, he needs to see someone who is committed. No, he needs to see someone that's committed to Christ before he sees someone committed to the company. He needs to see someone willing to give up for Jesus before he sees them giving up for him. So how do you love? How do you show love? By drawing near to Jesus Christ. And as you draw near to Him, exhort one another to do the same. Before you ever give anything to anybody, give them a testimony of someone who is following Christ. Now we're going to get into verse 26 next week. And that's some hairy ground. And so we need to get these parts first before we can move on. What about you? How's your relationship? And then how's your fellowship? Good enough? Or do you want more. Father, thank you that our relationship is settled. Thank you that we can, we can trust that we have been given everything that we need. But Father, we also understand, Lord, that the fellowship that we enjoy with you is something that we need to submit to. When we see these words, let us, we understand that there needs to be a decision made on our part. It's not automatic. It's not something that just happens. But I have to make a conscious decision to draw closer to you. I've got to make every aspect of my life hold to the things that I profess to believe. And then I've got to decide 
that I'm going to allow myself to be exhorted, provoked, and I'm also going to love the brethren enough to do the same for them. To provoke them. To encourage their heart to becoming more like Christ. Help us, Father, with this we pray. It's in your Son's name. Amen.